Uh, last week we began a new series from 1 Thessalonians entitled Living in Light of Eternity. And uh, one of the little blessings that we, in, we experienced last week uh, specifically was we weren't sure if the rain was going to hold off till the end of the service or, or not. And so we went ahead with it. And at the very, very end of the time after we had concluded, there was just a tiny little, little uh, smattering of rain. And I just sort of said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. We didn't have to have that wait until then, but, but you did, and that was gracious. And then I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, well, you know, you really didn't have to worry about the rain that much because the rain falling on you would assume that something bad would happen, and the fact of the matter is y'all aren't that sweet. You're not going to melt. You're going to be fine. But God has been gracious to us, including today. We're thankful for the, the beauty of being in his presence together in whatever format he calls us. Uh, in the midst of circumstances beyond our control, this is what we said last week, let us be faithful as we reorient our eyes on Christ and his work. So like the Thessalonian church, we forsake our idols. We give our best to the Son from heaven, raised from the dead, Paul says, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, there, there was such a certainty that Paul preached to the early church and that they received and they lived out that the, the second coming of Christ, that the reality of the wrath to come that we were being delivered from through the gospel was a part of that reality. And it should be a part of our reality. And I trust that throughout this series that the Lord will stir us and, and kind of get our eyes up that we would be people who wait with expectation and pray as the early church prayed, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Today as we look at the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at the, the first eight verses today. And specifically, I want to ask you to consider authentic ministry that produces gospel boldness as we seek to please God. Authentic ministry that produces gospel boldness as we seek to please God. So read with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. It reads this way. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not written without results. Was not, sorry, our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We were not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 5. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much... We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. May God stir our hearts by the power of his Holy Spirit 
as we dig in and as he nurtures us with his word. You know, there's something very beautiful about the way that this passage we're reading today concludes. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul is describing the deep affection that is shared between himself and the Thessalonian church, what I like to call a little glimpse of shalom right here. We've been talking about that word in weeks past. I like to think that a church like this, that Paul is describing here, could make a great impact on a world like ours. Why do I say that? I say that because loneliness is at an all-time high. You know, even before we got to COVID and challenges that we've gone through over this last year, there was a survey that was put out which sought to measure the breadth and the depth of loneliness in American society. Their findings were this. Their findings were that this, con- this condition is now at an epidemic level in the United States and, po- and poses a severe health risk to the general population. I find it odd that we live in an era where we have more means of connection than ever before, and yet we have an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of people feeling misunderstood, people feeling isolated. And I can't imagine that surveys like I'm referring to today that were done before the pandemic, that the pandemic has made things any better. The point of the matter is this. People are seeking for belonging. They're seeking acceptance, a community. And here in this passage, we see a beautiful bit of imagery as Paul lands on this passage. There is unity. There is togetherness. There's camaraderie. There's family of those who are loved so much that they shared not only the gospel, but their lives as well. You know, I believe when we get this right, it is in fact a little slice of heaven or a glimpse of God's shalom right here on earth. So this beautiful picture of the church that many of us have perhaps experienced in part. How do we get there? How do we set that as a site for us as God's people? Well, I believe that Paul highlights a few things in this passage which are instructive to us as we seek to live in light of eternity or living with a kingdom mindset, eyes that are up, eyes that are expectant. And so the phrase we're looking at today is this, authentic ministry that produces gospel boldness as we seek to please God. Let's start with authentic ministry. Paul says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. What he's saying is simply this, the transformation that we saw in your lives was legit. There was something that God was stirring and doing. In fact, he already referenced this in the chapter that we read last week, when he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy by the Holy Spirit, and then you became a model to those not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but the Lord's message rang out, and your faith has become known everywhere. So there was a legit transformation that has happened in your lives, and so he wants to acknowledge that. And I think as a church, we need to acknowledge when we see God doing significant things Just yesterday, we had a youth retreat here at the church, and to hear the testimonies this morning already of the stirring that God is doing in the next generation, we pray for that. We're asking God to raise up men and women who will be passionate and authentic in their pursuit of Christ. 
So Paul has said, your, your transformation was legitimate. It wasn't just lip service, but it was marked by the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and there was life change. And now he says, and our message was legitimate. Verse 5 of, of uh, the previous chapter, he says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, and you know how we lived among you for your sake. So I want you just to think for a moment about this notion of authentic ministry, of the authentic welcoming of the power of God into a person's life. Now, I don't know if you've dealt with discouragement in this sort of arena, but I know for me, my Christian life has been marked with the failings of people that I have looked up to at various times. Not exclusively, but it certainly has happened. I believe that on this side of heaven, we will always have role models who let us down. Duplicity haunts us as long as we wrestle with our old nature. But that does not mean that we don't pursue authentic faith that affects our minds and our hands and our habits and our friendships and our giving and our vocation and so much more. So church, in this season, as we have been talking about coming through a time of regathering and then leading into a time of rebuilding, let authentic faith be a piece of this puzzle. Let that be a part of our pursuit. Maybe simple enough to say, Lord, my prayer today, let me be an authentic recipient of the grace of God. That the work of God would not be just done in lip service to my life, but would actually work itself down into the habits and decisions and the thinking and the speech and the relationships and everything else of my life. Authentic ministry, that is a part of the promise of those who will be living in light of eternity. The second thing we see in this is a gospel boldness. He says in verse 2, we had previously suffered, and this is affirming what has already been said in the first chapter, we had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously. In Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Gospel boldness. Paul commends the Thessalonian church not simply for their profession of faith, but for the endurance of their faith through trials. You know, church, I, I think so much of our journey... So much of my walk with Jesus, so much of your walk with Jesus boils down to the way that you handle trials. That's why we've read many times James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we realize this is a part of the economy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Gospel boldness. Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
There is something about enduring through trials. And yes, we've endured through various trials. You are enduring various trials, some that we are aware of, some that we're not aware of right now. But don't let that take away your gospel boldness. In fact, I was thinking about sort of three tests. When you think about the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. So you know this was sort of an important teaching. And, and you, if you know that the teaching that the, the sower goes out to sow and some of the seeds fall on the path and some falls in the weedy soil and some falls in the rocky soil, some falls in the good soil, and they have sort of a corresponding response in each one. What we're saying here this morning that so much of our journey with Jesus boils down to the way we handle our trials. I think there's something instructive here. The first question for these seeds that, grow, that fall on the hard path, does it grow at all? But for all of the other seeds, the question is, does it endure? And does it bear fruit? Church, I believe we have a responsibility to be aware of the condition of the soil of our heart. And yet in that awareness, be aware that the Holy Spirit is a great agro-manager He can tend to the spots where there are weeds. He can tend to the spots where there are rocks. He can cause us to be more fruitful. He can give us gospel boldness even in the face of trials. I was speaking to a a young man just this last week who was uh, a missionary. He's home on home assignment right now, but he's a former student of ours uh, with, on, on campus, and so we spent quite a few years together and just had a great conversation talking about various things that God's been doing in his life. You know, he's married now, and they're raising kids, and, you know, it's just neat to see people growing up in the Lord and serving faithfully, doing some incredible things. Some of the ministry that he has been heavily involved in in Greece has been the ministry to refugees. So all these refugees that are coming in. And as he's sharing this with me, he says, Aaron, you would not believe how God is moving among the refugees in Greece who have absolutely nothing. They have so little, and yet they are so hungry for God. In fact, it seems that God is is on the move in places where people have So very little. And then he asked me this question. He said, so what do you think that means for the American church? Is it possible that we can lose our fervor, we can lose our edge, we can lose our gospel boldness simply out of our comforts or pursuit of comforts? This caused me to think a little bit about a book that I've read over this last year, and I would highly recommend it, especially if, it's, if, if you find yourself in the place saying, you know, I don't want to be a comfortable Christian. It's a book by Nick Ripkin that I've quoted before called The Insanity of God, The True Story of Faith Resurrected, and it's a, it's a book all about the, the persecuted church and what he has seen in various places of the world where people who have so little are so passionate, the underground church, the persecuted church, people who are in prison for their faith and yet display a vibrancy that he has not seen in other places. And he says this rather definitively. He says, the stronger the persecution, it seems the more significant the spiritual vitality of the believers is. 
And so Paul is commending the Thessalonian church and something in God's economy that we don't fully understand, but should cause us not to run from trials, but to embrace what God is doing in the midst of them. To not run from misunderstanding, but embrace what God is doing in the midst of it. Not run from inconvenience, but ask for what God is doing in the midst of it. The last thing we see here in this passage, and I think this is the part that maybe caught my attention most profoundly, is that we see a people who were seeking to please God. In fact, this is how Paul describes him. He says, we speak as those approved by God, entrusted with the gospel, and then look at this, uh, verse 4, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. I think that this concept in your life as in mine, in, in whatever level of kingdom influence God has called you to or called me to, that this concept, this shift, is an absolute game changer that will change your life. That is the concept of seeking to please God, living for the pleasure of God. You know, remember Jesus at his baptism. When the heavens open and the dove descends and and the, the voice of God is heard saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This was, this was the sweet spot of where Jesus lived. In Christ, this is what we live for. Brothers and sisters, if you are to live in light of eternity, if you are to have eyes up, if you are to live lives that are fruitful and meaningful, we must learn what it is to live for the pleasure of God. The really, really, really good news on this is that you stand right now before God in right standing, coming from the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is now his life being lived out through you. So the proclamation, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, is now imputed to you so that you are able to stand in the place of saying, I am pursuing a life that pleases God. Boom, this is a game changer. I was contemplating this, and then I uh, encountered a great teaching from one of my mentors by the name of Fred Hartley, uh, which was entitled, uh, Living to Please God. So I said, okay, I'm going to tune in. Let me, let me unpack a couple of the things that he, he runs us through. We see David in Psalm 19:14 and this is what David said and we've heard this many times but think about it in this context. He says may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Could I ask you just to let the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction for a moment as you consider the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart? Over these last days, over these last weeks, whatever it would be, I know for me, I realize through this lens, there's probably a lot of these things that are not bringing pleasure to God. David said, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Paul said in Ephesians 5, he says, you were once in darkness, now you're in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. And then he says in verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. I love that. It's a sort of a little discovery. 
It's a little search. It's a little, it's a little what, what is it that pleases the Lord? What is it that, I mean, do we know anything that pleases the Lord? Well, we know that unity in the church pleases the Lord. We know that a humble heart pleases the Lord. Uh, We know that purity in our marriages pleases the Lord. We know that purity in our singleness pleases the Lord. We know that repentance pleases the Lord. We know that soft hearts please the Lord. We know that building up one another pleases the Lord. And so we get this sort of open invitation from Paul to say, hey, you want to seek to please God... Find out what pleases the Lord. This is, this is maturity. This is growing. This is walking with Jesus. This is relationship that we're called to. Jesus himself said this in John 8. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has left me, not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus found himself. He said, that's my goal. That's what I'm here to do, to find out what pleases the Lord. This is a marker of maturity in Christ. In fact, this is a true marker of Christ likeness. I, I love even in the simple things. This is what I want you to see today. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. You remember Eric Little, who, who famously said, the runner, he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He was looking for the evidence of God's pleasure. I wonder if, if we even took a moment to think about the things that we invest our lives into. And saying, and I don't always have this. Listen, this I'm preaching to myself when I say this, but there are many things that I'm doing that I don't necessarily feel the pleasure of God. And as, a, as someone who wants to have their eyes on eternity, the eyes who are living in light of eternity, eyes up on Christ, I can be asking the question, what is it that I do, that I am made to do, that causes me to experience and feel the pleasure of God? So Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church, and he's saying very simply, look, our goal is to please God. It is not to please people. Our goal is to please God. It is not to please people. In fact, he says to the Galatians, he says this. If you can't draw it any clearer than this, I don't know how you would. He says, I am, now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? This is Galatians 1.10. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you want to be a kingdom influencer, and many of you, I love that in our church, we've got wonderful leaders. We have people that calling on your life that you are serving, sometimes in secular vocation, sometimes in ministry vocation. But God's leadership call is on so many of your lives. So I would invite you to learn, as I am trying to learn, that our first description in our job description is to please God rather than people. Let me just share a couple thoughts on this for the, uh, in the hope that it would be helpful to you. A few thoughts on people pleasing. Number one, for those who are trying to please everyone, it can't be done, so just stop trying. Right? I mean, if that's not evident in our world today, I don't know what is, but you're not going to please everyone. Uh, Abe Lincoln was said to have said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time. Then other people said, well, Abe Lincoln never said that. John Lindgate, a 15th century monk and poet, which I think if you put those together makes him a punk. Um, Yeah, sorry. He said, 
you can please some of the people all of the time, and you can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all of the time. And while I think that is absolutely true, I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to in this passage. You know, because the idea, we move to our second one, that as long as we're pleasing the right people, as long as you're pleasing the right people, then you're still going to be okay. You'll be sort of insulated from the difficulties that would otherwise follow. But I would suggest to you today, in light of the scripture and our eyes on eternity, this is still a fool's errand. Like, like Jesus wasn't political. In his, in his approach, he didn't say, well, if I get these people with me and, and make sure these people aren't with me, then we'll be able to advance the cause in the way that we want to. He just said, look, I, I want to please God rather than people. Now, there's a third category, and I'm going to say this to you in love. Some of you are feeling really good about this part of the message so far because you're saying, I have not tried to please people at all. Okay, there is a, it's not, this is not proof, but there is a possibility, if that's your feeling, that you might be a jerk. <laughs> so just, I think that, it just has to be in the mix, okay? You just have to realize that. Because some of what God says pleases him is when we treat one another with humility, when we listen to each other, Romans 12, we treat others better than ourselves. So let's take it all with a grain of salt. But this notion of trying to please everyone, trying to please the right people, trying to please nobody, you know, Paul actually brings us to a much better solution, and it's a cure for this fool's errand and this fool who has run it many, many times, and that is learn to please God, to say, Lord, help, help me to be in that place at the end of the day that I know that my heart is to go after your heart. Fred Hartley, who I referenced before, he, he said this, it's quotable. He says, whatever you desire to please is your God. It defines you, and it defines your identity. So Paul sort of understood this. He was making this a part of the message with the Thessalonians to say, look, we're not about people pleasing. We're not about people popularity, acceptance. We're not going to make that our God. In fact, there is maybe some, some specific action that we might take in this arena even this morning. And that is when we say, I will take up my identity in Christ. That's, that's the call of the believer. But I would encourage you not to be passive about that calling. That even this morning that you would say, I take up my identity in Christ. There might even be some that are hearing this message, especially those of you who are kingdom builders, who have calling on your life. You're doing ministry and you're out there. The challenge is you probably got into ministry because you have a heart for people. You love people, but that can quickly kind of slide into that people-pleasing place. So just take up your identity in Christ today. We've been given the tools of confession so that we can say, and I'm going to encourage us to do this as we end the message here today, that we can say, Lord, I would confess the sin of people pleasing. In connection with that, we may say, I would confess the sin of egocentrality. In other words, being the one who says, I demand that I be pleased by those around me. So we confess that sin and we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
This is such a critical piece of being people who live in light of eternity. And so what was the conclusion? You know, the conclusion, the the result of this group of people who God had stirred to authentic ministry, the result of these people who had had produced uh, gospel boldness as they sought to please God, and this is it. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He was doing something among that people. And I believe God wants to do something among this people, among us, that we would continue to grow in that place. And I think that happens as we learn to live in light of eternity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to lead us in a prayer here as we conclude. But as, as they come up, let me encourage you in a couple of things. Um, you heard this morning, and, and we've been talking over this last week about doing a, a family meeting. Uh, we're going to do that on Tuesday so we can unpack with some, some pretty clear detail what these next steps in regathering and rebuilding and all of those things are going to look like for us so that by God's grace we can lead well and communicate well. That, that was born out of... Uh, what, what seemed to me a very clear observation that, you know, families need opportunities to, to dialogue. We, we have to be able to talk with one another. We got to be able to share. Sometimes we don't agree, sometimes, but instead of letting that fester, let's find the places where we can really try to hear each other, try to understand each other. And so the meeting that we're working on for Tuesday that we hope that many of you will join us, join us online if you're not able to come in person, that's fine. Uh, is really in that spirit of saying, let God do something among us where we're sharing not just the gospel and what we believe, but our, our lives as well, our decisions as well, our growth as well, our mistakes as well. Places we say, yeah, we don't always get it right. But here's where we're trying to move forward together. I think that pleases the heart of the Lord when we do that. So I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would, if you are able. If you're not able to stand, don't worry about it. If you're able to stand, I'd love to just sort of do some business with the Lord uh, and with you this morning. So, Father, we, we would come right now and we would just simply invite the authentic work of your Holy Spirit, fueled by the gospel and bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Lord, would you just do that work in us today? And church, could I invite you with, with open hands, feel free to put your hands out in a, in a spirit of receiving, to just say, Lord, just want to receive from you what you have from, for me today. Lord, I pray for gospel boldness today. That even as we have sung and spoken and, and given life, life testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ, and and as we state together, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that is the life-changing power of God. God, what a privilege. So I pray, Lord, a a special infusion of gospel boldness over us today. Lord, I want to pray over my brothers and sisters that we might be able to receive from you just a fresh identity in Christ, 
Jesus, you said that your desire was to be in the pleasure of God and to live for his pleasure. And now the life of Christ imparted to us calls us to that same place. So, Lord, we would simply say we confess the sin of people pleasing. We confess our own ego that is desired to bend people to please us. And, Lord, in, in place of all of those things that are very much connected to our old nature, we would simply say, Lord, would you give a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit as we wait on you out here in the beautiful nature and the green grass and the blue sky overhead and the breeze blowing, Lord, we would simply say, would you give us a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit that as we move forward that we would see more and more that our ministry comes from the overflow of what you desire to do in us. And so, Lord, we wait on you. We love you. If today all of this is sort of feeling sort of foreign because you've never yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, let today be the day that you bow your knee to the Lordship of Christ, confessing your sin and in your own words telling him, Lord, I would receive your work on my behalf. What a great day for someone to put their faith in Christ for the first time. And so, Lord, as we wait on you, we pray that you would work, that you would stir, that you would move. We pray that you would breathe life, that you would encourage our hearts. And, Lord, again, that you would lift our eyes up to you as we wait in expectation and as we live in light of eternity. We love you today, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.